turn once again to Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. We're going to continue looking at the fruit of the Spirit as we work our way through Galatians together. Uh, and today we're going to think about uh, the grace of gentleness or, or meekness in the, the Christian life. This fruit that the Spirit produces in the lives of, of believing men and women. Next Sunday, uh, Lord willing, we'll hit the pause button and think about the death and resurrection of Christ. And then in two weeks' time, we'll come back one more time and look at self-control. Um, finish up Galatians and, and then head back to the Old Testament and think, uh, well, study together the life of Joseph. Uh, so that's what we plan to do together. But today, it's Galatians 5, 23. Jesus-like gentleness, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, you do possess the perfect gentleness. There is no harshness with you. And we ask that you would exercise that gentleness to us now through the ministry of your word. Uh, minister grace and truth by the power of the Holy Spirit, and by the same Spirit, mold us and conform us to your likeness. We pray for your glory. Amen. Let's hear uh, the word of God together. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Striking, I think, that of all the personal qualities that our Lord Jesus could have drawn attention to with regard to himself, that the only quality that he ever does draw attention to is this one, uh, gentleness. Think about all of the personal qualities Jesus could have drawn our attention to, and then consider the fact that the only one that he does explicitly draw our attention to is the fact that he is gentle and lowly in heart. It's striking, I think. And so, so what is what is this gentleness? What is the grace of gentleness that we see preeminently and perfectly in our Lord Jesus Christ? And what is this gentleness that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to produce as he conforms us to our Savior? As we've studied the fruit of the Spirit together, we've seen that the great ministry of the Holy Spirit is to come and, and reduplicate in our lives the moral glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. To, uh, to populate a likeness to the Son of God in the sons and daughters of God. To conform those who belong to Jesus to Jesus' likeness. 
And so today we consider this then. What, what is the grace of gentleness or, or meekness that Paul speaks about here? What does it mean to have this fruit in our lives? I think this is uh, one, one of those ideas we find in the Bible that might, it might be helpful to begin this way, to clear away some misunderstanding so that we can begin to understand what the Bible means by gentleness or or meekness. So let me say three quick things here. First of all, this spirit-generated gentleness is not a natural disposition. You know, we need to keep reminding ourselves of this as we look at the fruit of the Spirit as a whole, that these are not, not natural qualities that we, that we see developed in our lives. You know, we know perhaps people who are easy to get along with, who are just sort of naturally nice people. But that's not, that's not spiritual. It's, uh, it's biological and, and social. It's what you get with your dog. <laughs> uh, you know, get a nice breed and give it, give it some training and nice doggy. Um, now, there is the element of common grace, of course, but... That's not what we're talking about here. The grace of gentleness is a spirit-generated grace. And so just because someone's easy to get along with and they're nice uh, doesn't mean that they have the fruit of gentleness, spirit-generated fruit in their lives. A second misunderstanding we need to clear away is spirit-generated gentleness is not timidity. Uh, meekness is not weakness, we could say. And we tend, I think, I think we tend to equate gentleness with kind of a supine spinelessness. But the word, the word was actually used to refer to a person of power who refused to use that power to crush another person. That's how the word was used. And meekness, we could say, is strength clothed in gentleness. A third thing we could say, spirit-generated gentleness is not a spirit of compromise. You know, there are people who, for the sake of ease and comfort, for the sake of having easy go- an easygoing life, are, are willing to compromise to have peace at any price. But that is not what the Bible means by meekness or gentleness. Just think about two individuals in Scripture who exemplify meekness or gentleness for a minute. Um, Think first of all about Moses. The book of Numbers tells us that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. But when you look at Moses, you you don't see a man who, who... who opts for for peace at any price. You don't see a man who is always willing to compromise. Instead, you see a man who who stood tall before others because he had been bowed low before God. And far from a spirit of compromise, Moses was ready to put truth before consequences. But but even more than Moses, think think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus is the supreme exemplar of 
of meekness, of gentleness. He is the epitome of gentleness. I am gentle and lowly of heart. It's the very definition of what meekness is. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you don't see weakness, do you? You don't see someone who compromises for the sake of ease and comfort. and You don't see someone who, who puts his own comfort before truth. So, so, what, so what is this gentleness which the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, comes into our lives to produce? I should say something here before I, we get any further about the language I've been using. You've probably noticed I've been using gentleness and meekness interchangeably, and that's because I think they're, they're synonyms. Um, one one uh, Greek scholar, etymologist, actually says that the, the Greek word that we translate gentleness or meekness is actually untranslatable. <laughs> there, there is no equivalent in the English language to convey exactly what this word means. And that's why sometimes the New Testament translations we use go back and forth uh, between gentleness and meekness. You know, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, could just as well be translated, blessed are the gentle, because it's the exact same word. And so we'll, uh, I'll be using those, those words uh, as synonyms here. And to understand then what, what meekness or gentleness is, I think, it, I think it'll help us if we understand how the word was used in, uh, in classical Greek. Okay? It was... It was used to refer to a, a wild beast that had been tamed. A powerful creature brought uh, under the control of a bit and, and bridle. A, a strong animal brought under constraint. Uh, when, I was in, when I was in high school, before I left for college, my, our family, we had, we had uh, a few horses um, and we bought, we bought a yearling, okay, of course that was a year, year or so old, and uh, we, we raised him up, and uh, you know, I did groundwork with him, I was totally unqualified and experienced, had no idea what I was doing, but, uh, and sadly I had to sell him before I left for college, but not before, not before I got a saddle on him and uh, was able to ride him a little bit. But I remember keenly the first time I, I put the saddle on and got on, I, you know, put my feet in the stirrup and climbed into the saddle. It was a terrifying experience, honestly. You could, you could feel the power of this creature as his muscles twitched underneath the saddle. He, he could have thrown me off in an instant, but he didn't because he had been... He had been tamed. He had been brought under constraint. That's meekness. That's how the word was used. Uh, in the Christian life then, meekness is a life tamed by God. It, it is a life yoked to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and led by the Spirit of Christ. So I think that, I, I hope that helps us understand what Paul is, is saying and what he means when he says the Spirit of God comes to produce the grace 
of Christ-like meekness in our lives. So just think about that imagery with me for a second, at least two parts of it. I think that imagery of a tamed animal highlights at least two things. First of all, a, a meek man or woman has, has been harnessed and is now under control. They've been, they've been brought to heal by God, as it were. Uh, it's the idea Paul talks about, I think, in Romans 8, though we don't usually think about this in terms of meekness. Listen to these words. He says in Romans 8, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the flesh is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is is hostile to God. It, It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot Those controlled by the flesh, unregenerate human nature, cannot please God. You, however, Paul says to believers, are controlled not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. That's precisely, I think, what meekness is. It is is a controlled life, a life brought under the constraint of the Spirit of Christ. What does that mean in practice? Well, Paul begins to tell you very clearly there in in Romans chapter 8. He says that the mind that is not controlled by the Spirit is not subject to, but is rather hostile to God and God's commandments. But the meek man, the meek, humble woman, has been harnessed to the gracious commandments of the Master. And friends, isn't this scene... Come, come, back, come back with me to, to our Savior for a moment. Isn't this seen preeminently in the life of Jesus Christ? He came as a man, and he came as a man under authority. He, he, he subjected himself to the will of his heavenly Father. Remember what he says in John 6. He says, I have come down from heaven to, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In other words, I've come as a harnessed man. I've come under the constraint of the Father. I have come as a man under authority, under control, to live not unto myself, but unto him who has sent me. That's the, that's the first quality, I think, of the meek-spirited Christian. They have been harnessed by the gracious commandments of their Heavenly Father. So, friends, that's a question, I think, for us. Is, is that true of, of you and me? Have, have, have you and I been brought to heal by God? Have we been, if I can use the language, have we been broken <laughs> And tamed by God. Oh, the second lesson I think we learned from this illustration of a, of a tame beast is that a meek person is under control, but not without strength. That's, a, that's the thing we, we sometimes leave out when we think about gentleness or meekness. We have this mistaken notion that meekness is equivalent or synonymous with weakness. But you see, biblically, meekness is strength 
under control. It is, it is the wild beast that has been tamed. It hasn't lost its strength. There is, there is power, but it is under the divine constraint, and it is strength harnessed and controlled by God. And so meekness is strength clothed with gentleness. And my friends, that is a world apart from, from weakness. And so I think two ideas we have to get into our minds as we think about this grace is meekness is power under control and, and meekness is not weakness. And I, wanna, I just want to suggest to you today that that might be a little counterintuitive to how you and I typically think about gentleness or meekness. So to try to help us a little bit further, you know, who, who, can, who can illustrate well for us what meekness looks like? Of course, the best place to look is the life and ministry of, of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has is, who is led and lived his life under the, the constraint of the Holy Spirit. So how did Jesus show this grace of gentleness? How was it manifested in his life? Remembering that the Spirit of Christ is sent into our lives to reduplicate this very gentleness in our own lives as we relate to one another. Okay, let's look at three ways we see this, this gentle, uh, well, this gentle strength in Jesus' life. The first episode I want you to think about is uh, Jesus' encounter with the, uh, the woman caught in adultery in John 8. And we see, I think, I think we see in, in Jesus everything the Bible means by meekness here. We see him exercising uh, divine gentleness when he asks her, where are your accusers? Are there none left to accuse you? And she says, no, Lord. And with exquisite gentleness, he says, neither do I condemn you. And here's a woman caught in adultery. Here is a woman publicly known for her immorality. And, and what does she find as these heartless men drag her into the public square? What kind of man do you have to be to do something like that? But what does she find in Jesus? She finds gentleness. But notice that, notice in this episode that the gentleness of Jesus is never separated from strength and a devotion to truth. Jesus, Jesus doesn't leave the episode end there. He, he goes on to say words that I think would have searched out her soul. Do you remember what Jesus said to her? He said, now go and sin no more. Now here is the strength of the righteousness of Christ can confronting this woman, saying to her, you, you have been a recipient of the, the gentle and tender mercy of, of God. Note this, that the one who has dealt so gently with you is, is also righteous. So go and sin no more. You know, this encounter, it's, it's, it's well known, but I think the closing words of Jesus are often left out or, or left unconsidered. You... He said, you have, you have up to now been living a life of sin. That, that's over. You have received the tender mercy 
of God. Now go and sin no more. It's gentleness and strength in perfect harmony. The second episode I want you to think about as we explore what this gentleness looks like is uh, Jesus' uh, interaction with the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Now, this is probably one of the last places you might think about uh, considering the grace of gentleness. I want you to see this. Jesus speaks to these religious leaders, leaders of the day. He calls them blind guides. Okay, notice how gentle Jesus, who is lowly in heart, speaks to these phonies, these hypocrites. Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Friends, that's, that's meekness speaking. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, verse 17. You blind fools, verse 23. Woe to you, you hypocrites, verse 25. You clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, again, And again, and again, Jesus confronts them. He calls them whitewashed tombs. Look clean on the outside, but inwardly you're full of death and uncleanness. He calls them vipers, snakes, children of their father, the devil. And he asks them, how will you escape from being sentenced to hell? And you ask, maybe you say, hold, hold, hold on, is, is this the same Jesus? Is this the one who, who said, come to me, all you who are weary and, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. It is, it's the same Jesus speaking. Because the meekness of Christ is not weakness. It is not a gentleness that turns a blind eye to willful, deliberate, and habitual sin. You see what Jesus is doing here. He, He is refusing to smooth over when men are obstinate in their defiant hypocrisy and religiosity and performance. See, my friends, as a perfectly meek man, Jesus was never wrong about the wrong thing, or never angry about the wrong thing, or angry at the wrong time. As a perfectly meek man, Jesus was always angry about the right things at the right time. What's our problem? Our problem is that very often we are wrong, uh, we are angry at the wrong times, and angry about the wrong things, and we're just too prideful and arrogant to recognize it. The man who is, who is meek like Jesus is always angry about the right things at the right time. And that anger doesn't lead Jesus to lose self-control, as we'll see next time. But instead, that anger is used to promote the truth. Well, thirdly, though, I want to take a look at another episode and suggest to you that we see the meekness of Christ in his 
his humble, costly submission to the will of his heavenly father. And remember this word, it carries the idea of being under control, under constraint. So do you remember, do you remember our, our Lord Jesus uh, in the garden of Gethsemane as he, as he faced down the unimaginable horror of, of becoming the sin bearer of God's people? As the cross loomed large on the horizon and Jesus in his human nature began to fathom what it would mean to take the cup of God's wrath and drink it to the full. And in his holy humanity, Jesus convulsed at the idea of doing that. And, And rightly so. Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will. But your will be done, Jesus said. See, there Jesus, the man, he utterly submitted his human will to the divine purposes of God. And and there I think we are being brought to the very heart of meekness. It, It is that person who bows humbly before the sovereign lordship of God. It's the spirit that has left everything in God's hands. We leave ourselves and our rights, and in doing so, we mirror imperfectly and dimly yet truly something of the self-humbling of the Lord Jesus who laid aside his rights for us. Now, in practical terms here, I want you to notice very briefly, because we'll come back to this when we get into chapter 6. But in Galatians, I want you to notice how Paul applies the grace of meekness. He's speaking in verses 22 and 23 about the Christ-like life that the Spirit comes to produce in the lives of believing men and women and boys and girls. Then in chapter 6, he applies this Spirit-filled life. And notice what he says in the beginning of the chapter. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. He's picking up on what he, he said. Here is the practice of meekness in the church. You have someone caught in sin. What do you do? Do you go around talking about them, spreading gossip? Do you beat them over the head with the Bible? Or no, what do you do? You seek to restore them gently and firmly with the truth. You see, my friends, Meekness, meekness enables men and women to, to pursue the restoration of their brothers and sisters without an ounce of arrogance. Because there is, there is this governing principle, if we grasp the gospel, there is this governing principle in our minds, in all of life, There but by the grace of God go I. I could do the very same thing. I could fall into the same sin. There but by the grace of God go I. Now, another thing I I think we've talked about a little bit is Paul, Paul, I don't think, is giving us an exhaustive list of the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit 
you know, he could have, he could have ransacked uh, the life of Jesus Christ and given us a long list of graces that the Spirit seeks to reduplicate in our lives. But, but I, think, I think these nine are here for a reason. That according to the wisdom of the Spirit, he was pleased to, uh, you know, inscripturate these graces for the reflection of the church down through the ages because these are the graces that will most serve to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And remember, that's Paul's concern in this passage. He's concerned about congregational unity and congregational harmony. Back in verse 15, watch out, lest you continue to bite and devour one another. You're going to destroy each other. And in verse 26, he, he warns about envying one another, being conceited. And sandwiched in between that, Paul is saying, here is what guards and nurtures and maintains the unity of the Spirit. I think if we reflect upon you know, the, the visible church as, as a whole for a minute, I think we'd have to say, isn't it, isn't it tragically true that our Savior's church has in this world been too often scarred by a lack of, of meekness, of gentleness. You know, too often our actions towards each other in the churches are self-defensive, uh, self-preserving, self-serving. And so often we lack the simple grace of Christ-like gentleness. Ask, ask yourself this, this question. I, I had to ask myself this question during the week to, to my own shame. Would a, would a fragile, struggling sinner feel that they could come to you for help in time of need? Would someone caught in sin know where to go for help? Dear friends, the worst sinners knew that they could go to Jesus because, because he's gentle. You know the words of Isaiah, and they're in Matthew, that um, he will not break a bruised reed and he will not quench a faintly burning wick. What comforting words those are. Yet some of us might say, oh, you know, Jared, that's, that's very well, but you know, we need plain, direct, forthright Speaking, we need to confront. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I believe that with every fiber of my being. But beloved, what we need to understand is that what matters most is the spirit in which we speak. Um, are we speaking meekly out of love, seeking restoration or to promote our own cause? You remember, Jesus would not break a bruised reed and would not quench a smoldering wick. And so meekness is not weakness. Gentleness isn't compromised. They, they are rather qualities found in lives tamed by the grace and will of God. That, that's the issue, dear friends, when you think about gentleness. Have our lives been yoked to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ? Have we been brought under the constraint so that we are always asking ourselves the question, 
what would my master have me do in this situation? That's a meek spirit. In our Lord Jesus, you see, there is this coming together of, of great strength and, and exquisite tenderness and, and, and meekness. And if you're a Christian, you're a recipient of that. You, you have and you continue to experience the, the saving strength and the gentle tenderness of Jesus Christ. And you, 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 we need to hear those, those firm, loving words today as though they are addressed to us as recipients of God's grace. Go and sin no more. And in spirit-generated, Jesus-like gentleness, there will be something of the, the harmony of this constraint to the truth of God manifested in meekness. Um, may God, by, by his spirit, generate this grace in our church and in our lives that we may mirror more and more the one who said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me. The same one who said, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. And my... his, his teaching, dear friends, is is not a burden. It's good. And the one we submit our lives to is gentle and lowly in heart. My prayer this week has been that God would reproduce in us what is, what is natively and incarnationally unto death seen in our Savior Jesus Christ. Spirit-generated gentleness. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that Calvin wrote back in the 16th century that there is no harshness with our Savior. He possesses the, the true and perfect gentleness. Thank you, Jesus, for dealing with us so gently. Thank you that we have a Savior who came as a man under authority and in love laid down his life for us all. May we hear the words of Jesus speaking to us today as recipients of his grace. Go and sin no more. And we ask that the Spirit would conform us more and more to the likeness of our gentle Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.